Oh, welcome back to a new year with the 905er. Um, and uh, this is our first episode of 2021, which is already shaping up to be at least not entirely the worst year ever on record and uh, hopefully uh, a much better one than last year. Um, today, we're, um, we're, we're going to have a roundtable discussion of sorts, and we're welcoming a, a guest and a, a friend from Burlington, uh, Shannon Gillies, who is... Um, someone uh, uh, who we've known in Burlington for some time and who is, uh, uh, we've, uh, actually, I, I remember getting off spectacularly ba- badly with you about 10 years ago, Shannon, uh, <laughs> and having to apologize to you immediately. Uh, and we've spoken sort of through social media and things like this, but uh, I certainly have uh, come to respect Shannon's opinions on, on many things. And uh, also uh, just as much when she disagrees with me as when she agrees with me. So, um Welcome, Shannon. Um, thanks for coming on and being part of this uh, discussion today. Thanks for inviting me. And uh, um, and of course, we've got uh, Joel McLeod here as as ever. Joel, how how are you? I'm good. I'm just in the corner here, Sh- Roland. Don't mind me. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Joel. Hi. How are you, Shannon? It's good. I'm good. How are you? Talk to you face to face after uh, conversing. I know. Over. This is the first time we've actually ever actually spoken to this, each this other. Is, this, is is like nice. the, this is like the, the, the one of the plus sides of social media is that you get to meet people and we're finally actually able to have an actual conversation as opposed to like, you know, a discussion in 160 characters. Yeah. A pandemic has actually brought us together <laughs> <laughs> in a way that we never managed to do living in the same city for the last 20 years or however long. <laughs> I know. Um, anyway, yeah, and if I, if I wrote an introduction, uh, Joel, I would have men- mentioned to, uh, I would have remembered to throw it to you at the start, but anyway. No worries, new no year, worries. New, new disorganized beginnings. Um, so anyway, Joel, uh, uh, what stories do you think uh, have been coming up in the news over the last, uh, over the Christmas period? Well, I think everybody knows the biggest story in the 905 region is uh, that Rod Phillips got the boot um, or resigned officially is the official story uh, for, you know, not doing what the rest of us have been doing, which is hunkering down and isolating and, you know, just living in misery for the last eight eight or nine months. Um, So I'm I'm not surprised that he got, uh, he he resigned uh, when you're caught like that. that. It was just, the entire story was just a mess of politics and just a, a mess of hypocrisy in my my opinion. He got what he, he got what he deserved. I have no I have no sympathy for him whatsoever, uh, in, in my opinion, because uh, there's just I, I can't. There's no way I could possibly defend it. I don't. I also don't really buy that Doug Ford didn't know that his his finance minister <clears throat> just kind of took off and didn't tell him where he was going. I, I mean, that's the official story, but I don't personally, I don't yeah. buy it. And I, I think his own words, he, he in effect admitted that um, he did know um, th- exactly where he was, at least by the time he got there. Um, you know, and many, d- several days before uh, we heard in, in the news what, what was going on. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't have a lot of sympathy either. Um, I don't have any sympathy really. I mean, it's just in, Incredibly boneheaded as, as oh, it's yeah. it's kind of politics one hundred and one that you would have thought. Uh, so it's amazing to find these people doing this. Um, uh, I had, a, I mean, I guess my I was going to have a, do one of my rage tweets the other day, and then I decided not to do it. <laughs> and I guess it, my reservation about this story was, um, and I'd appreciate both your your thoughts on it. Really, 
is I wish we got as angry about the situation with long-term care as we do about an MPP's vacation. Uh, and now there's no excuse for the vacation. <laughs> That's bad. He deserves to resign. Uh, but why can't we bring the same level of um, political pressure onto people, say, the Minister for Long-Term Care or the Premier, uh, who said, you know, we're going to have a, an iron wall, or I can't remember what the phrase was he used, we have an iron wall around our, our long-term care facilities, and yet here we are again exactly like it was back in March with uh, the care facilities really, you know, having to you know, people are calling again for the army to be brought in. Um, so that was my kind of slightly different take on that whole story. And no, what Shannon, what do you, what, what are your thoughts? You know, I just, I think everyone just feels so completely helpless with that situation and no one knows what to do. And I know I'm personally frustrated by the fact that it seems like there were no lessons learned about the whole LTC situation back in the spring. It was a disaster. The provincial government sent in the army. They got things under control. And you would think there would have been some lessons learned there. So what did the army do that the, the private companies couldn't do themselves? You know, learn some lessons. And it just happened all over again. And so now I think that people think if the government doesn't know what to do, I don't know what to do. You know, I don't have the answer. We all know that something needs to be done. But there's just this frustration about who who's in charge here? Who's going to take care of this? And no one really knows what to do. Well, you're absolutely right there, Shannon. Like, it, there is a frustration over wh why are we still here? Why are we? Why is it that we can't seem to get a handle on this? And I mean, something that's kind of been a running theme in the last few months on on this podcast was wh why haven't we learned how to live with COVID? Like, I, I understand at the start we shut everything down. You know, we didn't go to parks, we didn't play outside. Kids were told don't go to school, all that stuff because we we honestly didn't know. But the thing is, like, we're supposed to learn this stuff over time. We have smart people in smart scientists who are learning this. And they say, no, we've, we've discovered over time, okay, we can go outside. We can go to parks. We can, um, you know, maybe kids can play outside uh, as opposed to indoors. Okay, that's something. Okay, we can adjust our lifestyle to, to accommodate that. And every time that we seem to be running into these, I would say, you know, hot, hot spots of COVID infectiousness, it usually is because we just don't want to spend the money on it. The the money, you know, the money to to properly retrofit long term care homes so that they're safer for the residents there. To quite frankly, increase the pay of the the care, the caretakers that are employed there so that they are better trained um, and better equipped with the necessary PPE. Um, and and to you know just to, just to kind of get a better sense of how do we live with this and to, uh, to your point, Roland, about why aren't people are upset? I I think people are. I think there is a, an absolute rage, simmering rage out there as to why is it that these care homes are this Achilles heel of our COVID nineteen uh, response? Uh, you know, and we're told oh they've you know they're handling it, they got a handle on it, and they, they, it's clear that they don't. I mean, there's the story of the the long term care home in Scarborough that is. Just every it seems for the last couple of days there's going to be an increasing number of deaths, like not illnesses, deaths coming out of this home. And you got to say, like, if, God forbid, if you were one of the, you know, if you had a loved one in that home, you know, it, it's just it'd be a nightmare. And I, it's you know, horrific. I, it is. I, I don't. I, I don't. I can't. 
I, I think there's a, I think there's a, a tipping point happening in this, in this new year of you're going to start, finally start seeing the, the poll numbers for the Tory government start to go down. I think people's patience of, Oh, you know what you do, you make do the best you can. Um, I think, I think it's starting to, like, I think this Rod Phillips thing is just the, the kind of the icing on the cake. It's going to be the, the one weight on the scale that's finally going to start tipping the poll numbers against them. Uh, because you got that as, along with the fact that they paused vaccinations for what, four days over the holiday break. And it's like, no, like, I'm, I'm sorry. If I got a phone call, you know, Joel, your family, your, your vaccination time is eight, 8 a.m. Christmas day. Yeah. I'm sorry, kids, you know, Santa's presents have to wait. We're booking it down to the hospital to get our COVID vaccination. It's crazy. This whole thing, like we're working on bankers hours with vaccinations. Exactly. It's insane. There's no urgency. It's like, Oh, you know, maybe we'll open this clinic. It closes at four. We won't do it on new year's day. Everyone needs a rest. This is not the time for that. Yeah, and we've got Shoppers Drug Mart and one of the other big uh, <laughs> pharmacy brands sort of lining up saying, you know, we'll do this, we'll help. The conservatives, that's their thing, isn't it? Get the private sector involved. Mm-hmm. And I have no objection to that. Uh, give it, I mean, okay, we, there are challenges with this vaccine and they're kept very sold, cold. But they're not, you know, as someone was just saying on Twitter an hour or so ago, you know, they, if if you if you have a whole box of the things, they will defrost kind of on their way to the place where you're giving the 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 injections. Uh, I mean, I was a doctor who was saying this. It's not just me making it up on the fly. Um, so, you know, by the time you get there, they're kind of more or less at the right temperature that you actually want. Uh, so, uh, you know, there it seems so many ways in which this 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 is not an impossible hurdle to to get over, and and the lack of urgency. Is is incredible, you know. And, and I mean, okay, sure, Israel doesn't do Christmas, and I, I guess that's that helps. But they vaccinate some vast number of people. Ten, more than ten percent of their population yeah. has already been vaccinated. I, my thing is, I just don't understand what what the plan was. It seems like they're making it up every day as they go along. You know, I think oh, yeah. it's their job to anticipate what the hurdles were going to be. They knew the logistical challenges. What what was the plan? Well, the, the, I mean, on that note. You know, we had the they they're telling us back in this in the fall, go get your flu shot, right? Huh. If, get your flu shot. That'll help. That's the biggest thing you can do right now to help uh, alleviate the burden on the healthcare system. So I'm speaking from personal experience here. My family said, okay, let's go get our flu shot. Okay, so we call up um, our family health team, and we said, when when are you when are you getting out flu shots? And they said, oh, um, we do flu clinics flu shot drive-through clinics on the weekend. Um, but we ran out, we ordered like 700 doses uh, the one one night and they went through in like an hour. Wow. Uh-huh. Okay. Next weekend, another 700. Wow. Went through in like an hour and a half. Okay. The demand is there. So they smart. They said we're ordering 1500 doses and they only got 200 in their shipment. Nobody knows why they, why the shortage happened. Like nobody knows where these mysterious doses went off to in the ether. And so they ended up canceling the clinic. And so if my family went for about a month and a half, almost two months without our flu shot, even though we were actively trying to find it, we're calling up doctor's offices. Can you give me it? Nope. We don't have any. We're only doing the elderly or the very young. So we got our youngest son uh, vaccinated quickly, but it took us, we ended up having to like go online and find, you know, where, where's the pharmacy that has a 
a surplus of flu shots. And it was like this, it was almost like this black market deal, right? Like I'm <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to call around and be like, hey, hey, do you have any flu shots? Like, can, can I score some flu shots from you? <laughs> And like, no, nah, man, I, I'm all out this week. You'll come back next week. Oh, okay. And I ended up going down to a pharmacy that wasn't my regular pharmacy, but I ended up going there and they gave us the flu shot. No fuss, no muss. But man, it was like, I felt like I was doing like the back, the back alley behind the, behind the place. Yeah. Like, don't tell anyone that we have flu shots because you don't want to demand. Like, <laughs> I mean, I still have run, run. This was the test yeah. run. It was the test run. And if they couldn't figure that out. It, it, it's it's really embarrassing. I mean, it, it and the the kind of excuses that they're coming up with. I mean, uh, so Christine Elliott, uh, I was saying, uh, uh, well, you know, a well, it's the holidays. What do you, what can you do? Was kind of one response. And then you know we're we're facing staffing challenges. Well, I think any government that sort of put a call out to ensure you, you need to have qualified people in in specialist jobs. I'm not saying anybody can step in and be a doctor. Uh, however, there are people I am sure who would be willing in what is a global crisis to sort of step forward and do that kind of dad's army thing of of of, uh, of, of helping out. Um, and it seems like they have no imagination of how you could use it's always uh, somebody else's community problem. as a resource. Yeah. It's always somebody else's fault. It's always somebody else's problem. You know, we we, ha- we heard. The, the spike in numbers was the fault of Justin Trudeau because he let people come in to the airport. Well, yeah, the reason why that became a problem is because we found out all the conservative ministers in the country are going to the <laughs> vacation hotspots in the Caribbean and in Palm Springs. So, you know, well, that, that turned out to be, you know, like you're part of the problem there, Doug. Uh, you know, the, 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 the problem is, oh, it's a Rick Hillier's problem for cocking up the, the closing the vaccines. Well, you know, earlier that month, Doug was saying, I don't care. I'm, I'm going up to the airport and I'm going to make sure everybody gets a COVID test when they get off the plane if I have to do it myself. Well, where was that for the, the vaccination clinics, Doug? Right. It's always like, it's all, it's all bluster and bravado with, with Doug Ford. I'm getting a little sick and tired of it. Well, uh, it really is. I mean, it's, he's so, you know, it's, the, I keep on making jokes about the, the 900, was it the nine, 800 pound gorilla, um, which is a phrase he used. I wouldn't have used if he hadn't used it first. Um, but you know he's, he's more of a kind of fluffy bunny than a than a gorilla really in this stage because he keeps on saying he's going to do things and then nothing happens. Yeah, and it's too bad. You know, he's I think he squandered any sort of goodwill and credibility that he had built up in the spring when even people who weren't big fans were kind of supportive and thought you know he's doing the right things. And then after maybe August September when he maybe opened the schools too soon and then everything just seemed to go downhill and now I get the sense that he's scared and he doesn't know what to do and it makes me feel scared <laughs> when our leaders don't know what they're doing and I think they know it and, and the, the 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 ministers amongst the PCs who I guess the public might have the perception of as being slightly uh, of being uh Slightly, slightly smarter end of the spectrum. I mean, like Christine Elliott, maybe has traditionally been thought as maybe not the worst. Uh, or Rod Phillips was probably a guy who's you know as, as finance minister was was seen as a safe pair of hands, I guess. But I mean, they're messing up too. Um, and it's like you know, yeah, we, we, we knew that Doug was going to be Doug to an extent. And, and yeah, I mean, in the spring it was kind of. Well, thank God he's not actually as bad as we thought he was going to be. That's kind of what it was. He's just not yeah. as bad. 
Well, it's easy to stand up there and say, okay, everybody, stay in your homes, don't do anything. Because if you remember back in the spring, uh, you know, the burden of keeping everybody in their homes fell on the federal government. The federal government had to come through and figure out, well, how how do you tell people don't go into your job and a company that and a business that's relying on foot traffic going in and out of a store or a restaurant to say, shut your doors for the sake of everyone and say, well, how do I pay my bills? How do I pay my wages? How do I, how do I, how do I feed my family next week? You know? Like how, how, like my business is relying on that interaction and the federal government. I mean, we've, well, not, you and I have discussed this uh, many, many a times, how many times we've had entrepreneurs on this show to say the government helped us immensely. It, they came through in a pinch. They provided a lifeline. It wasn't the, the end all be all. It wasn't the, the panacea, solve all your problems. But, you know, without the federal government stepping up and digging in deep and handing out checks to people, you know, things would have been a lot, lot worse. And I, 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 I will, I mean, I'm. I'm progressive minded and I'm not, I'm not necessarily a whole wholehearted Trudeau fan, but you know, I'll give Trudeau credit that he came through in a pinch for everyday Canadians. Doug has, I've yet to see him actually step up. It, it's just been confusing messaging one after the other. Uh, and I think we're, we're seeing, we're definitely seeing the cost of that. It's that there's confusion still out there. We don't know what to do. We're hoping we're going to get a vaccine soon, but I was reading online, um, Dr. Jennifer Kwan, who, is from uh, is from Burlington. Put, did the math and said yeah, at the current rate of an, of uh, vaccination, like we're we're looking at like twenty, like thirty five, something like that, until we're all vaccinated. Like we get that herd immunity uh, 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 level. And I, I'm paraphrasing Dr. Kwan's numbers there, and if I got them wrong, I, I apologize. Uh, but it's, it's something very scary. It's, it's just like we, we need to step up here. Like we we need we need to dig well, down well, deep. We do. And, and, and the out. problem is, is now our numbers are so low. We, like we know that there's more vaccine on the way, you know, hundreds of thousands more doses coming to Ontario in the next few months. But the frightening thing is we can't even get this right now. And it, mm-hmm. you know, what have we done? 30, 40,000 40, maybe in Ontario over the last couple of weeks. And it's been a bit of a disaster. You know, how are we going to do it when there's hundreds of thousands of doses coming in? If we can't even sort out, how to get these small quantities done? Well, my, 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 I'm thinking of the logistics of it. And I mean, I, I'm glad that there's the priority is our, our long-term care homes, presumably, uh, and our frontline workers. Good. They, they need to be vaccinated first. Agree. Mm-hmm. The problem is what happens after that, that I'm, I'm puzzled by because nobody's clarified what the system will be. Now, Christine Elliott has gone on the record as saying the vaccine will be mandatory, but kind of not because you'll have to have this like COVID card to present to a restaurant or, or a movie theater if you want to go out for the foreseeable future, which, okay, that, that's a whole other can of worms that we're not going to go into today. But I'm sitting there going, we know from the flu shot problem, how are we going to get people vaccinated if it's voluntary? And if, if it's then it becomes a free for all, if I have to, if my family has to fight yours, Shannon and yours, Roland to go find a flu, uh, sorry, a, a COVID vaccine. Is that how we want this to happen? Like, is, are we going to have this weird class system of COVID vaccinated and COVID not vaccinated walking through Ontario? It's going to be chaos. And it seems like, I mean, this is, well, my kind of pet theory is this is what happens with politicians who don't actually believe in government. That when when you have something that demands a 
good old fashioned big government response of kind of you know uh, mass organization of 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 just doing whatever it takes to get the sheer numbers of people involved in something. These guys don't really believe in that way of doing things. So they don't know what to do. Um, it's it's you know and and. Which is why I always say they're not really conservatives. Because I mean, you look at that; there's been plenty of conservative governments that have been very good at organising uh, mass uh, enterprises when they needed to, you know, uh, think of wars or previous pandemics or whatever. Um, uh, and it's, you know, they they because they have so little faith in government as a thing. When they're called upon to use the tools they have at their disposal, um, they really fall on their faces i think i mean uh no do you agree with that shannon what do you think yeah you know the, um they're politicians and every decision they make unfortunately is political and so they're not we always have to keep in mind and roland you and i tweeted about this a little bit you you were talking about one example i think the person in st Catharines. um we have to keep in mind that they may be making decisions that are best for them politically. It just so happens that right now, the majority of Ontarians do support lockdowns and shutdowns, I should call them. Um, and, and that is probably the only reason that Doug Ford has made that decision. Had it not been in his political interest to do so, he may not have made the best you know, decisions for us health-wise, and not that, uh, not that he is making the best decisions now, but it's, it just makes us realize the role of government um, you know, are, are, are these people doing things for political reasons or are they actually looking out for the best interests of, of all the residents? And I, I think there is, that's a really interesting point actually, because I, I do hope, I believe, I think I've got enough experience to, to believe that there are a lot of politicians who do um, absolutely that, that those sort of political imperatives that, that, that drive decision-making uh, where everything is kind of colored by, am I going to get reelected? It's definitely a huge element. Um, but there are those people who kind of also at the same time believe that they're doing, um, you know, that, that, that public service is, a, is an important thing and believe in the power of their office to do incredible good. Sure. Um, and uh, it seems to me like because those guys don't really you know, they, they think their primary responsibility is to get out of the way of uh, of of people when it, they just don't know what to do in this kind of situation. Um, now, actually, I was going to say, I mean, the, the other question, it was an interesting comparison, actually, between Rod Phillips uh, in Ontario and then Nikki Ashton, who is an uh, NDP MP from Manitoba, Um and I actually thought it was an interesting contrast there. I don't know what you guys thought, because she at least alleges that she um, was traveling because her grandmother is, is sick. I mean, mm. very sick. Um, she still lost her job as, as a, you know, a, a critic. Um, and I kind of thought that was maybe a bit on the hard side. I mean, as someone who has a, a relative overseas, um, the, the rules are, you shouldn't be traveling except for essential reasons. Bart's is not an essential reason. Uh, a dying grandmother maybe I think probably is a, an essential reason. Do, do, do you see it from that point of view as well? It, it's a hard one. You know, it's, it's hard. 
this is a tough situation for a lot of people. You know, I listen to Michelle Rempel and her husband's over there. And yeah, it's, it's too bad. She's got a husband in the States that she can't see. And his mother is apparently very ill. And any human being understands that that's a tough situation. But you look at all the people here that are are not going to see loved ones. We had a friend, uh, a friend of my husband's passed away a few months ago, sadly, suddenly of a heart attack. And his wife could not see her friends, be consoled by friends, could not have a funeral. And, you know, everyone is having a tough time. I mean, not to mention all the people losing people in in the hospital that they can't even see as they're dying. So, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say these people are terrible for going to see their loved ones, obviously, but, you know, we have to realize that everyone's in the same boat and it's a, it's a tough time. I, I, I kind of agree with what you're saying there, Shannon. I've, I actually had this discussion with my wife and we're, I, I do, I do think Nikki was, Nikki Ashton was probably unduly punished for it. Cause I, I, I really, I, I, you have a point though that you're right there are loved ones who have died, who are died of COVID and we aren't able to grieve for them how we properly should. You know, there, there isn't that, that period of we can't go over to friends and family's house and say, you know, how can I be there for you? We're actually told don't be there for you. So there's that angle to, to consider. Absolutely. And it's, it's, it is a bit about fairness. Um, can I blame Nikki Ashen or really Michelle Rumpel for saying, I want to see my family, uh, going through, you know, facing death. No, I, I can't. I, I think it's a very human human response of both of them, and I understand. I understand their pain at that that uh, that dilemma. Um, I think. I, I think if you're going to be a political leader, though, and a leader of your community, and you want to be a leader of this country, though, you might have to step up and raise your your standards a little bit, and you kind of have to fall on your sword a bit. Um, you. you I, I I don't I don't have an easy answer. I do think Michelle Rempel's low diatribe on Twitter about woe woe is me. And I yeah, it kind of it kind of I thought it was interesting because I was like I get I get the anguish of not being able to see your husband who lives in the states who is looking after his mother and you you clearly do love your husband and your mother in law. I get that, and I get all everything you're saying up to the part of you know, but the only reason why I can't you know thanks Rod Phillips because. Now, now I'm going to get caught at the airport if I try to sneak out. Okay. It's like, no, that's the that's the point. Like, it, it, like you can you can if you, the video is just like I'm pissed off and I'm raging that I can't see my loved ones because of this problem. Nobody would have faltered. And they would have said, you know what, Michelle? Like, we you're right. We need to figure out a way to help you out. Like, how do, how do we bring our numbers down and get a better grasp on this situation? Instead, it was like, woe is me, and I'm going to get caught, and that's not fair. It's like, nah, yeah. you missed the point. And the only reason was that the CBC vulture reporters right. would catch her. It's like, you, you missed the point, Michelle. You missed the point by just a hair. And, a hair. And, 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 that's, and that's kind of where, you know, and with the Nikki Ashen case, I'm, you know, I don't know. I, I really don't. I mean, if she was able to use her, her privileges as an MP to circumvent uh, restrictions on the rest of us. Absolutely. Uh, she should be punished for that. Like, I don't think cause you're an MP, if you're just going for personal reasons, you get to flaunt, you know, flaunt your privilege at the airport and sneak out underneath the gate as it were. Um, 
yeah, it, it's 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 a tricky situation. I, I don't. I, I think maybe like a, she, public, uh, a public chastising from Jagmi Singh might have been more suffice, sufficient in uh, Nikki Ashton's case than a full. Well, actually, what I thought was was you know maybe the real point here is that how did she not know what her leader's position on that was? She 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 apparently kind of asked around uh, Parliament, I think. Um, for kind of advice, I mean, not from the party, but from from uh, you know uh, whoever the people are in, in Parliament who deal with this kind of thing, and got their advice. Well, it should be crystal clear to yeah, everybody. There should what be no, no ambiguity. Yeah. You know, I think so that's the kind situation of, in Alberta. Kenny was saying, yeah. "Oh, you know, I guess it's been a bit ambiguous about what the, the standards are." From our perspective, we think was it was it ambiguous? You know, we okay. think they should have known. It goes, I mean, it comes back here to Ontario as well. Like Rod Phillips is not some lowly backbench MP that you know. Oh, I'm gonna, you know, yeah, I'm, Rod. Who? Like, I'm not gonna miss him if he he's their finance minister. Like, if there's a crisis, if we, if all of a sudden we're like, oh, we need to dig deep and we need to fund this emergency COVID or whatever happened. Like, you're telling me that you don't know where your finance minister is to call him up and be like. Rod, get get your tail back here now. I got a cabinet meeting right now. I need you on the line, and I need you to authorize, you know, money monies to be spent on this crisis or or whatever have you. You're telling me that you don't know, like, no, like he's not he's not a nobody. He's too important not know yeah, where he is. And if you don't know where he is, then you are a horrible boss, and yeah, you should be fired. Yeah, well, that, that's a really interesting point, and uh, and then just having the lid raised on the kind of scheduled tweets um uh which he said he said well all mpps do it and i said well i've known a few mpps and i'm not aware (laughs) they're always out at events taking pictures and doing it right then um so i've not been aware of the scheduling thing there's 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 scheduling like i know that mpp mps and mpps do schedule tweets and of course you schedule a christmas tweet to go because yeah i'm like i want to spend it with my family i want to open presents and you know have a cup of coffee in the morning. I don't want to sit there like, oh, I got, I got my hair mixed, fixed up right and have my wife videotape me or you know, video chat me on my iPhone so I can tweet it out that morning. You ha- you record it beforehand and you get it to schedule out. That's nothing new. The deception was in, no, no, I need it to cover my butt so I can go get a tan on in St. Bart's. That's the, that's the, the no-no on that story. And such professionally taken photographs as well, which, <laughs> you know, those things don't come cheap. <laughs> the one I loved was the National Maple Syrup Day, you know, where you have to pull <laughs> the, the flannel shirt. <laughs> yeah. Special some Bart's maple syrup. Uh, you know, and someone had made the point of saying, that's funny, he never celebrated National Pancake Day or whatever it was, National, I don't know if it yeah, was before, before, yeah. Pancake Day in other years, just happened to celebrate it this year. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I think uh, well, I think that probably um, uh, brings us up to date on the on the various things that have been happening. Uh, well, uh, partly nine oh five and partly the province and partly kind of nationally, I guess. But um, I don't know. I guess we could finish off by maybe saying, you know, what what are our hopes for for two thousand and twenty one, um, and what do we think? Do we think that everything is going to be fixed by the end of the year, or, or is it going to be? Are we still going to be um, uh, zooming everybody because we're not allowed to see them, and not just because we don't actually want to meet them? <laughs> <laughs> Shannon, I'll throw it to you first. Oh, I don't know. I, you know, 
I think when the, we first got news of the vaccines, everyone right away thought, okay, there's light at the end of the tunnel and thought it would, it would, we'd start seeing things turn around in, in the next couple of months. And I think it's going to take much longer than that. Um, I think everyone's a little bit worried about this new variant, if that's going to change what happens, hopefully, you know, it, it won't be a factor. Um, so I think it's going to be a rough year. And I'm just waiting to see just some kind of a downward trend, just to see those curves just start to at least level off. And then I think people will start feeling a little more hopeful as the vaccinations go up, you know, see that some of those numbers decline. But the way things are going, I think it's going to be at least the summer before we even really see things start to turn around. And I think it's going to be bumpy. I think the economy is going to have a rough go. You know, there's only so long that we can keep, the government can sort of keep things afloat. To ask them to keep an entire country afloat for a year is a lot to ask. And I think we're going to be paying the price for that necessarily. I mean, we didn't have a choice for, uh, you know, for years to come. Yeah. Joe? Um, I'm picturing 2021 will be the year of impatience. Um, I think it's going to be, Shannon was right that the vaccine news gave us a lot of hope at the end of 2020 that we're, you know, oh my gosh, this might actually end. I think we're going to see the reality though, that, um, that end is tantalizingly close, but still so far away, uh, because we're going to see the problems of trying to, you know, appease everyone and get a vaccine out the door. You're going to, you're going to see people impatient because they aren't going to, they aren't vaccinated, but you'll, you will, I think you'll see the rise of, you know, how we had the anti-maskers in 2020, we're going to have the vaccinated people in 2021 who are going to be pissed off that they're still stuck under lockdown restrictions or any kind of restrictions because I've got my vaccine. I should be allowed to go to a restaurant. I should be allowed to go to a movie theater. I should be allowed to go to a gym, et cetera, et cetera. And I got my COVID card and you're going to sit there and say, yeah, but you know, are we going to lift the restrictions so soon? And the rest of us are now stuck indoors, which my conspiracy tinfoil hat, theory will be that you'll see a black market of COVID cards being uh, made up for people who are just, I need to get out. Uh, and that, that's my, that's my firm prediction. I'll, I'll put, I'll put that one in pen. Cause I think you'll okay. see that as we're going to uh, hold you to it at the end of the year, Joe. Only to like, I wouldn't <laughs> be surprised if you see like a black market COVID card industry of people who are just, I'm sick of being caught up and I don't understand what my neighbor across the street got their vaccine and I'm still stuck locked up in my house and they're able to go to a restaurant and to a theater and go to their gym and see their family and all that stuff. Uh, so I'm going to doctor up a COVID card so I can go out. Um, is what I think will, will happen. I think it, my hope is we're going to see a bit more, um, I, I, a little bit more, more changes to the economy. I, um, I hope that we're going to see more, uh, I guess a more egalitarian economy. I think we're, we're a little bit done with, uh, you know, we're going to, we're going to see people who are, are frontline workers and people who are minimum, minimum wage workers being finally, they're going to step up and say, no, I was, I was so important that you couldn't live without me during the pandemic. I want my fair share. I want my, I want my $15 an hour or whatever the, the fair rate will be at the time. Um, and you're, you're, I think you'll see people demand more. They'll say like, we're tired of, especially in the cases of like where you saw, we heard of landlords and other cor corporations like the Walmarts walking with huge 
profits of 2020 to say, why did they walk away with huge profits? But the mom and pop shop on main street got, uh, you know, they're, they're now indebted, you know, beyond, beyond repair. Uh, that's not fair. And it's not. Um, so there'll be, there'll be, I think there'll be talk, there'll be massive talk of, sort of massive economic reforms in 2021, uh, especially as the vaccines start to roll out. It would be nice if, uh, and I don't know, I can't say this is a prediction because I'm far too pessimistic for that, but um, it'd be nice if, if by the end of the year, this is moving towards being over. Um, and I think that's not a certainty, even with vaccines, even with you know everything, you know, what, what stops a, a variant coming that is resistant to a, to a vaccine and then we have to start over and, you know. Oh. Um, I mean, let's hope it doesn't happen. I mean, there's good reason to be hopeful. But I hope that if we are coming out of it um, in the second half, uh, last part of this year, that that it's a bit like the end of the Second World War or something, where people use it as an opportunity to reassess what our priorities are as a society um, and to, uh, you know, out of the Second World War kind of came our modern welfare states, um, uh, you know, universal health care um, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, so- social assistance and things like that. Um, that would be good. I'd like to see see that. And just some of the old cliches of, you know, well, people who take benefits are lazy when we've all kind of taken benefits this year <laughs> uh, or, or a, very, a very large number of us have. Um uh, those cliches might go away uh, and allow for a more intelligent discussion around, uh, um, you know, how we care for people who are struggling for whatever reason. Um, that's certainly not a prediction. That's that's just my, my my vague hope. My prediction is this year will be slightly better than last year. <laughs> not by much. That's, that's a safe one. I think that's a safe one. Yeah. Uh, let's just hope it's not worse. Um, Okay, we should probably leave it there. Uh, having completely sidestepped the, the 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 issue of making a real prediction, um, so that Joel, you're 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 going to have your feet held to the fire, but not me. Well, um, let's ho- let's hope it. Uh, we'll see what happens on December 31, twenty twenty one. So uh, thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back on Thursday with with another guest called Shannon Gillies. Finally enough, we'll be talking about um, the experience of being a. Uh, uh, political candidate um uh, the good the bad and the ugly of that uh, so hopefully i hope you'll uh, uh, check back in for that episode thanks and bye for now that's it for this episode of the 905er thank you for listening as always you can send us your feedback thoughts and concerns or ideas for future episodes to our email info at 905er.ca we'd love to hear from you you can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through patreon as well as paypal visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab as well links are in the show notes for your convenience lastly you can find us on social media search for the underscore 905er on facebook twitter instagram and linkedin so long for now see you next time Emily Roger, and I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. 
Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com.